This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. When a human looks at another person's eyes face-to-face, it actually reduces cortisol in the body, the stress hormone. For the first time in history, we know that humans are actually looking at each other in the eyes less than ever before, and that actually increases cortisol. And having mealtime is when a lot of times we would actually look each other in the eye and have conversations. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we'll learn about the keto diet and whether it's right for you. We'll find out about the hidden opioid crisis. We'll discuss how to plan your fall fitness routine. And lastly, we'll also hear about the natural treatment of stress. But first, a little bit of business. Introducing the all-new Ketoplex line of intelligent ketogenic solutions, including MCT-8X by NuvoCare Health Sciences. Not only will it effectively transition your body into ketosis, the body's fat-burning state, it will also be your secret weapon to beat those uncomfortable side effects known as keto flu. Try the Ketoplex line of products with Nutrisentials Zen Energy to maximize your keto transformation. For more information as to where to get the Ketoplex line of products, including Whole Foods, please visit nuvocare.ca. That's N-U-V-O-C-A-R-E.ca. Ryan Foley has dedicated his entire life to the health and fitness industry. Inspired by his mother at an early age with the old adage, you are what you eat, Ryan's passion is unlocking the healing powers locked within plants and identifying their health benefits. Ryan has a degree in food and drug sciences and has spent 15 years in research and development working for the largest nutraceutical companies in North America before starting NuvoCare in 2007. Ryan's goal is to help his customers optimize their health and beauty using research-based supplementation along with regular exercise and proper nutrition. He can be reached at rfoley, R-F-O-L-E-Y, at nuvacare.com. Welcome to the show, Ryan. How are you? Hey, Jamie. Not too bad. Thanks for the intro. So in the newest issue of Tonic, uh, I discuss my ongoing struggles to keep my weight off and what others are currently doing to keep healthy. And one of those things that I mention is keto, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's obviously, this is a big wheelhouse for me and and NuvoCare. I actually, uh, further to your point, I I started the company 13 years ago and, you know, our our first entry into the marketplace was age off. And uh, so anti-aging was a big part of our business. Um, the next thing I do very well is weight management. So we, we launched our weight off line. Um, but this ketogenic line is true to my heart. It's really kind of going back to my, my basically back to my base, uh, my home base where I which is a bodybuilding and, uh, you know, ketogenic diet, um, you know, track back 20 years, you know, we were doing it. We just didn't have the advancement that we have today. And what I'm truly excited about with this Ketoplex line, um, it, it really is my wheelhouse. It's three key benefits in one core brand and uh, very excited to talk to you about this today. Excellent. So so you, how long have you been weightlifting? You're not competitive anymore, are you? No. It's funny enough, I, I started when I was about uh, 12 or 13. I had the York, you know, the, uh, plastic weights in the uh, yeah. in upstairs and, um, but I, you know, avid into, you know, fitness and well-being and, you know, my mother, um, she was really, my mother and father, they were my, my environment and they were, you know, avidly into fitness and uh, well-being. So that really affected, and not affected, it, it, it changed and, and structured who I am today. 
Um, so yeah, I, at an early age, I started you know weightlifting. My mother, like you said at the beginning, you know she said, "You are what you eat, Ryan." And I remember you know she used to give us lecithin granules, and um, I'm like, "What is this?" And you know she said, "Oh, it's good for your brain. It's good for your skin." I'm like, "Amazing!" Um, right. No, but I was I was truly taken back by that. It just uh, you know this functional food that you take in and it makes you, your your body better. So for that, I was actually the lecithin granule was the turning point. I think at, at a young age. Um, so anyways, I, I went into, you know, fitness and bodybuilding. I played hockey um, quite competitively and, and my, unfortunately my, my parents separated. Um, anyways, I, bodybuilding or getting to the gym was always something I could do and not have to rely on anyone. Right. And I think it's a, a true sanctuary for, um, if you want to set a goal for yourself, I mean, no one else can interfere with that. And that's what I kind of liked about it. You know, it's about mastering your body and ultimately mastering your mind. And, and funny enough, um, when I, I first, I made it a goal at 13. I started working at a health food store. My mother was actually instrumental in getting me the job. The, the guy didn't want to hire me. Um, but yeah, I got the, so I worked at a health food store and my, my goal when I started, uh, was to compete in a bodybuilding competition before I graduated high school and, and win that. And, so, did, and did you do that? I did indeed. Yeah. Congratulations. So in the context of the bodybuilding, you came to actually you use the ketogenic lifestyle to, to help well, maintain to your weight, right? Yeah. Um, it, intuitively, that was really, you know, that was the diet that to go to. If you did any kind of research on, you know, you know, old school, you know, pioneers in, uh, in bodybuilding in the industry, it was just, you know, it was just known. The challenge was, you know, we didn't know enough about it and we didn't have the nutritional sciences that we have and the, and the knowledge that we have through the research we've done uh, to really kind of perfect it. So I had some challenging times. I mean, the keto lifestyle, it, it's the best for burning body fat and maintaining lean body mass. And as, as a bodybuilder, you want to have a, you know, when you have as much muscle mass as possible, as low as body fat as possible. And, you know, but ketogenic, that was the, that was the solution. Okay, so let, for those who don't know, what is the keto lifestyle or the keto diet? How would you explain it? We live in a world of carbohydrates and overabundant of carbohydrates. What the keto lifestyle is, is basically changing or shifting your macronutrient intake to no, uh, low, very, very low carbs. Right. Like I'm talking less than 50 grams a day. Um, if you go over that, you know, you may not, it may not work out. Um, you're basically replacing your carbohydrates with fat. Okay. But- as as the energy source for your body to burn calories so that you can function, do all the things you want to do, right? So your body is trained from our current lifestyle of of processing the carbs, which uh, we get through sugar. Well, and, insulin. I mean, that's yeah. that's the the reason why we store body fat is, right. is insulin. It's carbohydrates, insulin, and it's that kind of you know, it's kind of a we have a kind of a dysfunctional um, you know macronutrient intake in this day and age, and I I predict you know. 10 years from now, when I'm, I'm going to be an advocate of this and, and make that change, we're going to be shifting from carbohydrates to using functional fats and, and moderate protein as our regular way of living. How does it work? How does the keto lifestyle work functionally? So basically, when you lower your carbohydrate intake, which is the main premise of, of the ketogenic lifestyle, you lower your blood sugar and you lower your insulin. Okay. By starving your body of, of blood sugar and insulin, you're shifting your body into it needs the energy substrate. Right. So it, it the other source is fat, fat body fat. Um, so when you starve your body of glucose, you basically shift your body into a fat burning state. And when your body is um, you know metabolizing these these fatty acids, it goes to the liver. It gets to a point where it's so over um, it's overwhelming for the body, and it turns these fatty acids into ketone bodies. 
Okay, and that's where the name comes from. And that's exactly yeah. And okay, so so when you when the body develops these ketone bodies, what happens next? So once the ketone bodies, and you want to basically raise those ketone bodies to a level where you're actually in a state of what's called nutritional ketosis. Okay. That's at a, uh, well, it's a it's one, technical term. What does it mean? 1.5 millimoles of, of uh, ketones per uh, deciliter of blood. But that all that means is you're in a state of fat burning. Okay. When per, I say like consistent fat burning. Yeah. I mean, you, and there's different like degrees of uh, how deep and, um, but yeah, when you're at 1.5, you're at a, uh, your nutritional ketosis and you're burning your, your main energy substrate is fat and yeah. Is, is that a keto? Is that known as the ketogenic state? Is that what you're referring uh, to? Ketogenic state, yes. There's there's a way of you know if you're in a state of ketosis, you're yeah. in a ketogenic state. They're all kind of synonymous. Um, they're very okay. you can use them interchangeably. Um, but yeah, when you're in a, like when you're in a ketogenic state, you're a fat burning machine. So what you're saying is you're training the body to do this consistently. So it's not a temporary situation. It is this is how your body is going to burn energy going forward. If right? you continue on, and the right. key is the macronutrient profile that you take in. If you if you maintain Maintain that diet and that that uh, and it doesn't have to be that hard if you really think about it. But yeah, if you maintain that, you're going to be in a state of ketosis. Okay. So, what are the health benefits of doing this keto lifestyle? Well, and that's my kind of my wheelhouse, and this is why I get yeah. more and more excited about this whole uh, ketogenic. And it's not it's not a fad. This will be here a, a long time. I mean, again, it's the go to diet for burning body fat and maintaining muscle mass. But what we're learning, um, there's so many more benefits. And my three wheelhouses have always been anti aging, weight management, and neurological health. Let's start with the first one, anti-aging. How does it help with anti-aging? So basically, when you basically lower uh, glucose and get yourself higher ketone levels, ketone levels kind of mimic a state of calorie restriction. Right. And calorie restri- if for those that don't know this, calorie restriction is the it's the best approach for anti-aging. Right. There was just an article that was out last week, I think in the Globe and Mail, which said that if you reduce your calorie intake, I think by 20%, yeah. you, can, you can add about uh, 5% or 10% to your lifestyle. Absolutely. And they started with, you know, uh, you know different species and yeah. you know, it's moving up to pri- you know, primates. But it's, it's, a, it's a known fact that if you lower your calorie intake, you will live longer and healthier. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned two other main wheelhouses. So the other one was a uh, mental health, right? And- yeah. And just to touch, touch on the, uh, the ketone. So when you, when you shift your body into a ketosis, ketones actually stimulate the state of uh, calorie restriction. Okay. And on that note, it stimulates pathways that stimulate things like sirtuin one and anti-inflammatory pathways. And that's where the anti-aging pr- uh, profile is coming from. Got it. Okay. So without, without, um, persistent pain, then there's less free radicals well, in your, in your, in your, blood, in your blood stream and then therefore you can live longer, right? Because there's no degeneration of, of the uh, the blood cells. And well, the, and the no, you've, you hit on a really good point. Ketones are a very, very clean burning fuel. You have, your body has two sources of fuel that it relies on. It's either glucose right. or ketones. Okay. So when you're in a state of burning ketones, it is a very clean burning fuel and there's not a lot of free radicals that are actually produced after it's burnt. Right. Whereas glucose... And that produces a ton of free radicals, reactive oxygen species radicals that your body has to tackle. And that creates a state of inflammation, uh, just a lot of bad side effects, essentially. Right. Which which age you. Which, age you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So, we've, we've handled anti-aging. Let's move ahead to, I the think neuro- you said- Neurological. Right. right. That's really interesting to me. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. And this is where I, the, it's fascinating. And, you know, the University of South Florida, they're, they're kind of a, the leaders in this this 
the, the keto research. research. Yeah. Um, but epilepsy, so children, I believe it or not, who are suffering from epilepsy, the doctor, if they're a good doctor, they're going to prescribe them a ketogenic lifestyle. In other words, just reduce the carbohydrates, raise the fat level, um, and moderate protein. And what that does is, just like I said, it's a clean burning fuel. Neurologically, if you're in a ketogenic state, you're going to be very hyper-focused. You're going to have a higher cognitive function. Um, and also, the byproduct of the ketones, again, there's not a lot of free radicals. If, if any produced. So neurological health is enhanced um, uh, in going into older life. This is what's really exciting. Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, they're finding and they're, the research is building that this is going to offset those major neurological disorders. Wow. So they're researching that now. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's building. And um, I mean, if you, if anyone's suffering from an old age, to, I mean, even it's caught, you know, losing their memory, just follow a ketogenic diet. Um, I have a, a good, a very, very good approach um, where it's not as hard as it seems. And here at Nouveau Care and, and Ketoplex, the, the new line that we've launched, we're trying to make it easy for the consumer and for the, our customers to follow, you know, where they can't be social and they can't actually live their life. I call it, we call it the five, two cyclical plan where they're basically following a ketogenic lifestyle for five days and then move into the weekends, have fun, Oh, reset the metabolism. Oh, that sounds like it's for me. Yeah. Now you, you mentioned uh, before there was a third wing. There was, there was anti-aging. There well, was, uh, this, yeah. Well, what's the third? Oh, this is the one everyone's always interested in. Uh, improvements in lean body composition. Yeah. In other words, accelerated fat loss. And But the thing is with ketones, it has a, uh, it's called, what's called an anti-catabolic state. It just means you're protecting your muscle mass. Okay, which is good. Which is great. Particularly as you age, right? Because I'm, Sar- I'm, I'm trying to build and maintain my muscle mass. Well, sarcopenia. Yeah, yeah, so sarcopenia is a major disorder for you know, elderly, and they lose, you know, I think, a pound or two pounds of muscle mass for every year they after the age of uh, 50 or 45 or so. Um, but yeah, it, it has an anti-catabolic uh, effect. And yeah, I mean, it just, like I said, it hits my three wheelhouses. That's why we're so excited about this Ketoplex line. We have five products. Uh, we're trying to make it simple and understandable and just ultimately make this lifestyle easier and more comfortable to follow. Okay. So when we talk about entering into the uh, keto lifestyle, there's there's two stages. The first is the adaptation stage. So you want to explain what that is and, and, and how that works? Yeah. So again, when I was bodybuilding back in, I was, you know, 18, I, I, we were following this lifestyle and it was very difficult because we, you know, we didn't know what we know today. We just needed to lower our carbohydrates, you know, raise our fat levels and moderate protein. We had a lot of actually side effects as a result of that. Um, but we didn't know is, you know, the key minerals are depleted and there's certain nutrients that you need to, um, basically supplement to overcome what's called keto flu. What is keto flu? So keto flu is basically when you're going through keto adaptation, what that means is you're shifting from a a state of burning glucose to a state of burning ketones. Yes. And through that transition, there can be side effects. And the way to offset that, and I wish I knew this back when I was bodybuilding, um, is to supplement with certain key minerals that get depleted. Okay. So what are the the manifestations of the side effects? What are the side effects? Um, Headache, flu, lethargy, which is a lack of energy, just not feeling your best, you know, mood, uh, lower mood. Um, and it can all be offset by just supplementing with the right nutrition. And that's, again, what Ketoplex is all about. Okay. So that's the first stage, the adaptation. And then I presume after there's the adaptation, you have to maintain it, right? And, and, and I guess there's difficulties that go along with that too. Um, so really, so when you go through the adaptation phase, you, you to do that, you actually have to shift your macronutrients. So you're taking in a high level of fat, about 75% uh, percent fat, 
and this is where the it's hard to understand, but uh, but that high of fat, 20, about 20% protein, no no higher than 5% carbohydrates. So once you follow that, you again, you adapt, you slowly get into a, a lower glucose levels, lower insulin, and your body starts burning ketone or fatty acids, upregulated fatty acids and burning, and then it moves into ketones. Um, so once you've done that, you convert it into that, that ketogenic stage or ketogenic uh, state, you basically, you need to sustain it. Now, there is, we have something called Keto Cuts. It's a, a, a ketogenic optimizer that helps you get through that keto adaptation phase a little bit easier, um, takes away the, 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 the state of yeah, what we call keto flu, but it also upregulates the fat burning metabolism. And really, that's so you're basically taking a, a great a dietary approach with ketogenic lifestyle, and you're basically taking it to the next level. And, and that's what I've always been about with nutritional supplementation, evidence-based products, very mechanism-oriented that works with your body, you know, whether it's keto adaptation, and then upregulating once you're in that state of ketosis to maximize its ability, essentially. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks, Jamie. Always a pleasure, my friend. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the hidden opioid crisis on The Tonic. At Peak Human, they're dedicated to getting you to live 100 times your potential now. They provide access to the most advanced medical technologies available in the world right here in the GTA. DNA testing, hormones, Neurobiofeedback, regenerative treatments are just some of the specialized services available to you that previously were only available to the rich and famous. Visit them now at peakhuman.ca and book your free consultation. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest is Dr. Hans Clark. He's the Director of Pain Services at the Centenary Pain Clinic, and is the Director of Pain Services at Toronto General Hospital. He's the Research Chair for the University of Toronto Centre for the Study of Pain. Dr. Clark's research interests include identifying novel acute pain treatments following major surgery, identifying factors involved in the transition of acute post-surgical pain to chronic pain, and identifying risk factors associated with continued opioid use and poor health-related quality of life after major surgery. Welcome back to the show, doctor. How are you? Not too bad, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So there are new or relatively new Canadian opioid guidelines uh, from 2017, which came after investigations into opioid abuse. And I think everybody's familiar with it because it's been in the news. Um, Just for those who need a grounding, what was the purpose and intent of those guidelines? So it's a good question, Jamie. I think uh, the purpose is probably twofold. So, you know, first, just in the pain world in general and in, and treating, uh, you know, 20% of patients uh, in Canada or 20% of Canadians uh, live and suffer with chronic pain conditions on a daily basis. And so what we started to notice clearly over time is that, you know, our apt for pres- prescribing did get some patients into trouble. And we had patients on high-dose opioids that, you know, where sometimes the side effects were now starting to outweigh some of the benefits. You know, add to that basically the 
you know, outcry from specific experts across the country and the U.S. talking about, you know, this prescribing issue as it relates to the opioid crisis and, you know, coming up with solutions to this. And so regulators, et cetera, started with the, you know, the easiest place that they could target, which was the physician prescription pad. And so, you know, unfortunately, as we're rolling this forward, as I predicted, uh, not, there's never a one-size-fits-all solution. And so uh, when, we, when we think about the guidelines and why they were created, they were really created to protect future patients that uh, are now potentially going to be prescribed opioids uh, and hopefully physicians adhere to new ceiling doses. But unfortunately, what has also happened is there has been a huge fallout for patients with pain that are on these medications currently. Right. So that's sort of like the law of unintended consequences. So we're, we're trying to stop people from becoming uh, addicted to opioids going forward. But, you know, what do you do with the cohort that are already taking opioids and, and perhaps already suffering from, from some issues, right? Yeah, 100%. And so, you know, what, we, what the, you know, the government of Canada has done, which is actually, you know, a progressive move, is to start a, nat- a national surveillance kind of opioid m- mortality website. And this is, you know, this is some of the things that, you know, you can't start to make rules until you know the data. And, and it's clear, you know, we've had more than 11,500 deaths in the country in the past three years, you know, uh, and the number kind of continues to climb. So 3,000 in 2016, over 4,000 last, uh, last year. And, you know, who, who's actually dying? Well, it's, it's quite often uh, the, you know, young, middle-aged individuals, often 75% of them are male, and 95% of the times it's accidental um, and quite often uh, involving illicit fentanyl. So it tells you right there the individuals dying already are, uh, have a bit of an op- opioid use disorder issue, not necessarily those chronic pain patients that have been taking these medications uh, for many years, for that matter. Do you know if there was any correlation between... Uh, their illicit fentanyl use and an originating uh, pain uh, caused by surgery or, or an ailment that they were being treated for? So it's a great question, chicken or egg, and it's really hard to, to, to decipher. So I can tell you that, you know, when people are taken to hospital, and there was a study out of uh, British Columbia, and they're in the emergency department, and they've been brought back from an uh, apparent opioid uh, overdose, what's the first thing they're asked? Well, why did you take the medication? Well, I have a pain problem. And so, you know, one thing that is for certain, addiction and mental health issues have been around for decades and centuries, and they're not going anywhere. Many of the pain patients that are started on their opioids, uh, that if we follow... Uh, uh, pretty closely, we are tasked with kind of understanding when they start to tip into that balance. And for the most part, especially, you know, the people dying are not your seniors, your elderly patients. Yes, there's a risk of increased falls, et cetera, but someone taking their, you know, three to four Percocets a day to go to the coffee shop to meet their, you know, loved ones to, or friends to have a coffee with them are, are certainly not the ones we should be, at, uh, should be at risk, and they're the ones that are unfortunately now not able to access care. So let, let's talk about what this what the net result of the current policy is and and, and this is sort of the the crisis uh, that that we're alluding to and, and and that pertains to the people who are now being forced to go off their opioids after perhaps being on them for for an extended period right Oh, 100%. And so, you know, what, what the data says clearly is that, you know, over the past, uh, let's say over the past two years, that overall prescribing rates of opioids have gone down by 10%, okay? Mm-hmm. But uh, when we look at the opioid overdose deaths, they've gone up by 36%. So it's the classic case of, you know, regulators kind of not really taking all of the expert advice into consideration. And, you know, as we predicted, we're now seeing this scenario where we have patients that are now basically as a consequence of this uh, you know, 
apps to reduce people's prescribing, uh, being dropped from clinics, being uh, basically denied healthcare uh, for, for the most part if someone has a physician that retires, chronic pain patients cannot find a physician to prescribe. And I think we're getting to the place where we may now need to have an amnesty for physicians to actually start to prescribe opioids again to these folks that are that are being forced weaned and, and many of them are ending up uh, using illicit sources. And I can tell you when I test people in the clinic that, you know, are using illicit Percocets or whatever they think they're using, they're taking illicit fentanyl. Fentanyl is often coming back in their urine. And so we really have to be careful for the, you know, the, the thousands of patients out there on high-dose opioids and what we're doing to for them and to them. So what is the government's plan? How are they dealing with this cohort right now? So I think the fact is the cohort's really been in the background. There's, there's, there's such a move to, you know, reduce opioid prescribing. And even though the voice of the pain patient has been there, there really hasn't been uh, a, a ton of empathy, so to speak, for this population and, and really bringing harm reduction back to the forefront and not just in like the hospital setting, but bringing it into the forefront of just our general uh, thinking as physicians will go a long way. So I have an individual in front of me who basically tells me, look, my doctors either cut me or drop me. I'm now purchasing from the illicit market to supplement, well, let's think about that. Let, let's maybe look at the fact that he has potentially an opioid use disorder. Let's figure out how we get the, that help. And it, the help doesn't always have to be in the, in the tertiary care setting. I think one of the things I'm hopeful that uh, we can start to do is look at getting pain and addiction services into the family you know, practice or the family health setting so that you know, a, a lot of the primary care docs that are struggling with this can have in-house help for some of these things and so that we don't lose some of these patients as, as uh, we head down this path. So to clarify, is there nothing that the government's doing to replace these people's opioids right now? Like, like if, I, if I were on opioids for three years and my doctor has suddenly said to me, okay, I, I can't prescribe the dosage that you had before, what's open to me other than lesser dosages? Uh, there, uh, you know, your hope is you can get into uh, right now a, a kind of a pain and addiction potential program that are in, you know, urban centers. If you live in a rural area, you know, you'll have a hard time getting there. The, the fact remains, it's probably one in every 200,000 Canadians that have access to some type of multidisciplinary chronic pain care. When you look at the investment in Ontario, the Ontario government has done not a bad job of investing into chronic pain. I can tell you that the, the federal government, they're still, you know, they're looking at it, they're, they're definitely have formed a Canadian pain task force and let's see you know what resources come of come of that so it's no doubt it's on the radar Jamie but if you are a patient today and your doctor says I'm I'm force weaning you or I'm going to cut your opioids because you shouldn't be on these things here is your last script for 30 days well you pretty much have 30 days to make a decision between well can I find a clinic that can help me can I find another physician to prescribe for me or do I go into withdrawal and try to write that and destabilize my life so to speak or perhaps purchase this uh, product elsewhere so that you can kind of try to maintain your life. And unfortunately, these stories are far too common, and we do have to put some resources into helping these th- pe- uh, these individuals figure things out. So these clinics that you're referring to, what sorts of services would be available to somebody who is trying to, to, to not take the opioids? So, you know, the, the multidisciplinary model is basically one where, you know, you want to get patients, they're, they're struggling, they, they end up, uh, you know, dealing with a lot of their, what shall I say, um, kind of, you know, psychological predecessors that, that have kind of 
kind of fed them down the, the path of struggling with these issues. So whether they have pre-existing anxiety, depression, uh, you know, who knows, uh, sexual abuse or physical abuse in their background. And so, you know, these programs, one, they help you with pharmacological management and they help you with the cognitive behavioral aspects. And so they can improve, you know, uh, education just around opioids and pain in particular, just like uh, Women's College has a new program called Pain University. They can help you set goals, you know, give you those psychological skills to empower you to basically start to self-manage. And, you know, any of these chronic diseases, there isn't a single chronic disease, whether you look at diabetes, you look at rheumatoid arthritis, any of these things where it isn't a self-management by the patient as well as uh, the help of the physicians and all of the allied health folks to, to help these patients kind of get, uh, get to the place where they can cope and continue on with their life. Okay, so I, I know that you, you know, you're concerning yourself with plans to deal with this issue. So what would you recommend? If you were in charge, how would you help these people going forward? Is it simply more education, more clinics? What, what, what can we do? Uh, well, so I, I think what the first thing is we definitely need to start uh, to educate uh, physicians, et cetera, in terms of how best to start prescribing opioids in general. And so, you know, what's fascinating is every year when I apply for my hospital privileges, I have to go through fire safety training, cultural safety training. Well, what about a simple 15, 20 minutes, um, you know, refresher on, on prescribing opioids and some of the uh, warning signs? But, you know, that's at the physician level. How do we help the population? Again, I think we go back to figuring out how we add pain, addiction, uh, CBT, uh, act-based therapies, psychological therapies, right into that family practice setting. And, and what are the models of care that have been found to be useful and what are some of the evidence to show how we help these folks that, one, potentially have a pain problem, two, have a mixed pain and a potentially an opioid use disorder problem, and, uh, you know, just how to cope in general with their chronic pain issues. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, pleasure, Jamie. Anytime. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to discuss your fall fitness routine on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Did you know that you and your company can make an impact in the community by simply ordering lunch? Big or small, it's now possible for companies that require catering services all across the GTA to give back effortlessly. Thanks to a unique partnership bringing together a local caterer, Chef's Catering, and Red Door Family Shelter. For every meal ordered from the Red Door special menu, one meal is given back to the women and children seeking refuge at Red Door. Visit chefscatering.ca to discover the menu and support your community. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Stacey Irvine is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. The philosophy and identity of Totem have been greatly influenced by Stacey's love of athletics and her passionate belief that everyone will benefit from a healthy, active lifestyle in their own unique way. 
Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. She's made several appearances as a fitness expert on CityLine, Canada AM, Global Television Network, City TV, WTN, and is frequently quoted as a fitness expert in Chatelaine, Glow Magazine, More Magazine, Zoomer, and the Toronto Star. Welcome to The Tonic. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah. So, you know, um, we're both sort of in the same field, you know, wellness and betterment and health and fitness and all those good things. And you and I sort of share a viewpoint. And that is, if you are serious about making changes in your life, it shouldn't be a New Year's resolution. Most people get to it this time of year, right? This is a great time of year to start thinking about it. And I find this time of year, along with New Year's as well, I think it has to do with the fact that maybe we were partying all summer and sitting out on a dock with cocktails and maybe traveling and we got out of our routines. And that's why once we hit fall, we're usually back to work, back to a little bit busier schedule. Maybe the kids are back to school. So all of a sudden your schedule is changing. Right. And it's a great time to take a moment, reassess, say, what can I do to make this a really good fall and to improve my health a little bit? What things do I want to change? It's a great time to just take a moment and try to figure that out. I agree. I actually had my life changing health and wellness epiphany as a New Year's resolution or New Year's time. I don't like calling it a resolution, but I find most people who are serious about it don't get that work done at that time of year, even though historically and, you know, Fictionally, people believe that that's the time to do it. And I find, in my experience, the people who've really made changes in their life, they actually start now. So I I agree with you. And I think it's about getting back into routines. I agree. Yeah, the routine is key. And I also think that if you want success with your routine, it pays to think about it a little bit. You know, put, put some energy into what's my reality? Okay, you know, what are my time constraints? What what can I actually fit in? Where am I going to do it? Right. How's it going to happen? Maybe I need some extra motivation. So maybe I need to book that trainer or maybe I need to contact my friend that's going to come with me and do the workout. Maybe even I need to let my family know, okay, I've booked these days. This is when I'm going to do this step for me because here's my work schedule. Here's your schedule. This is what I'm doing. It, it is really important if you want success in these things to actually take a moment and plan it out properly. I I think for those living with family members, I think it's crucial that you kind of plan everybody's activity schedule. Just like, you know, as my kids were growing up, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, there's time constraints. But now that my kids are older, I actually exercise with my daughter once a week and I exercise with my wife and daughter another time and then my wife. So, but we plan out which days we're going to do it. We do all sorts of different activities like spinning and hit classes and, and things like that. But it makes a difference, particularly if you if you're combining dietary issues as well, like trying to have a healthy meal. Uh, we believe in eating together as a family, so it's a challenge if you're working out in the evenings. But it really is. I, I yeah, you know. I know exactly where you're coming from. I care a lot with my family about us eating together and taking the time to enjoy a good meal. Right. I I even believe that nutrition, you know, we, we want to eat healthy, but I'm really a strong believer in enjoying it. 
And what you're doing with your family and with the activity is you're also enjoying your time yep. with your wife and you're enjoying your time with your family. And that is also a key factor in the success of this. Right. Because you don't want to have a workout that you hate going to. Right. You that and that's part that, of that's when I know it's time to change it up, right? Exactly. L- like if yeah, I start like you're re- not I, looking forward to it. What's, uh, what's the point? We only live once and you know, you you really can you can find ways to exercise that you enjoy. They they're out there. Right. So that's where the planning comes in. And look, if you say to me, I I have clients that say this, you know, I can't stand, I can't stand sweating, I can't stand doing this. And they're like, that's why I'm with you, which is fair enough. But I still want them to try to, okay, like, do you like stand-up paddleboarding? Do you like going on a bike ride? I'm still looking for things for them that they might have fun with. And sometimes including a family member or a good friend, because we all have those moments where we're like, you know, my schedule is so busy. I don't get to see my friends. I don't get to spend quality time with my kids. So including that in your workout is super efficient, but it takes planning. It does. It's not just going to happen. No. And, 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 you know, I believe in workout buddies or workout friends or working with family, but it can't be a crutch. It can't be an excuse. Oh, my wife's tied up at work. Therefore, we're not going to work yes. out today, right? Yes. Be, because yes. that's an easy excuse, it too. It really is. And you can have a bad workout buddy, too. That that's always, true. That always bails on you. And then you've got to think, okay, what am I going to do there? Because you don't want to miss your workouts. Right. So, and, and, yeah. and, you know, there's certain workouts that I enjoy better than others. And it could be a function of who's leading the class or mm-hmm. the type of activity. But then there's ones I know that I have to do. Like, uh, you, you reach a certain age and I switched from doing more aerobic activities to more strength training just because I've read a lot. And, you know, when you're in your 50s, you've got to keep your bone density and your muscle mass up. Uh, so it helps with stability and balance and everything as you get older. You are reading the right stuff. Right. So but, It's essential. Right. And you're absolutely right. So sometimes what we say to our clients is that the weight workout allows you to do the activities in your life that you love to do. Right. And I believe it's essential at the very least, one day a week, a heavy weight workout. For sure. And hopefully two is great. Two to three is perfect. Okay, then you're right in the ideal. But at the very least, get that one in right. and make sure you're lifting some heavy weights because that's the only way you're going to maintain your muscle mass. So that's going to allow you to keep your metabolism going as you age, and that's going to allow you to enjoy your life and your activity and be able to eat kind of the same way that you ate when you were younger. Mm. Not Uh. quite as much, but you really have to maintain. So that's important. And then you also really have to maintain your strength because if you want to hop out onto water skiing or if you want to, you know, play with grandchildren, whatever it is, you have to have those muscles there to support you. And right. the weight training is by far the most efficient way to get that. So in our programs, it's essential. Right. So let's focus on the fall because, mm-hmm. because you know, th- this is the time where we're trying to get everybody to think about the, their scheduling and what they're doing. What else would you advise somebody who's maybe thinking of changing their lax summer schedule for more structured workouts in, in the fall? I think being realistic is the number one thing. So you're going to sit down and you're going to look at your schedule and you're going to look at your schedule, your family schedule. So in my case, I have two boys playing competitive hockey and one daughter playing soccer. Yep. So that ruins almost all my nights. Yep. Ruins. <laughs> not, there, there's an interesting, that's an yeah, interesting phrase. All right. Not yeah. that I don't love that Said the former athlete. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just not, you know, it, it really is. You spend so yeah, much time driving and that is actually the worst part of it. So, Be realistic. Look at your schedule. 
Then you know what I did? I had, I had somebody who was swimming. One of my kids mm-hmm. was swimming, and I looked for a gym that was close by exactly. where they were swimming. Yes. While they were swimming, I didn't have to watch them. They were old enough that I didn't have to be there the whole yes. time. But I made sure that I left them off, got them ready, went worked out, and then love raced that. back. And then and then you know two birds one stone, right? Exactly. And I love that idea. And that is that is huge. So that's when you sit down and you look. Where do I have to be? And what time do I have to be there? That could include work. That could include you know the driving that you have to. Yep. Whatever the requirements are. So be realistic about that and then figure out where does your activity get in around that. So I like to say movement breaks every single day, figure out when they happen and how they're going to happen. A movement break could be 10 minutes. It could be walking your dog for 20 minutes in the morning, but put it all into a schedule and put it into something that looks reasonable to you and something that you are going to be able to accomplish. Start out small. You know, don't kind of feel like you have to hit the ground on a high-speed track. You want to ease into this. We're changing from summer, which is relaxing, to fall. And fall is wonderful because we don't usually have snow yet. Right. And we have the ability to get outside. Without overheating. Without the oppressive yeah. heat and yep. humidity that we, you know, sometimes have in the summer, which actually makes being outside not really an option. So to me, these are the best months. Being outside is absolutely gorgeous. You're going to watch the leaves changing. The more you can plan activities outside, I think the better for this time of year. Think about your gear. I'm just going to get yeah. there, right? What, what am I going to wear? What what are my footwear look like? Are, are they okay? Do well, I, I need to update? I'm due for a new pair of shoes because I, I wear through them, right? So I, it, if, you're gonna, if you're going to do road work, you have to make sure that you know your your shoes aren't falling apart or you're, you've lost your treads or whatever. Exactly. You, know? you want to check all that, see where you're at and Obviously, I it's kind of fun because you know the kids usually get to go back to school shopping. You yep. get to go back to fall shopping. So check your gear. If there's any problems with it, get some new gear. Yep. Sometimes getting some new gear could be the thing that gets you out the door. Right. The other thing you have to think about is if, if you're going to be shorter daytime hours too, right? So if you're going to be doing stuff outside, you should have reflective wear Definitely. Uh, that is weather appropriate. You know, like you shouldn't use drizzle or rain as an excuse not to go out if that's what your plan is. And yes. so you want to make sure that you, you, you're getting water resistant clothing if that's necessary for you, yes. carrying a watch, making sure people are in communication, stuff like that. For sure. And I really think there there's no bad weather. There's just bad gear, right? Correct. So you yep. can dress for all weather that we have. But yeah, if, you're not comfortable if you're not set up properly. And I also think if you have any nagging injuries or anything that's been kind of bothering you during the summer, we often right. neglect that because yep. we say, okay, I'm on vacation. I've been traveling. I just don't have time. You know, we pop back into work. We do our really intense work and then we're back kind of maybe out of the city or something. So again, you're not in your usual routine where you might be seeing your physiotherapist or your massage therapist or your chiropractor, whoever it might be. But I really do think it's a good time to give that person a call and say, okay, how do we set this up? I'm getting ready for my fall activity. Just a tune-up, check, aches and pains. Deal with that right now before you start into a new style of training. Okay, so we have time for one more question really quick. Uh, what is your, if somebody's contemplating starting something new or getting back into something, what's the most, other than scheduling, what's the most important thing they can do? I think find something that they enjoy because yeah. if you if you don't love it, you're not going to stick with it. And I, I don't want you to feel bad about yourself if you don't stick with something. I want you to love it and I want you to take that moment to really enjoy yourself being active. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's been great. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to discuss the natural treatment of stress on The Tonic. 
The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Emily Lipinski graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto, Ontario, and is a member of the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors. While in the academic world, Emily became fascinated with the potential applications of naturopathic medicine in health and wellness. She strongly believes in addressing a root cause of medical issue using natural therapies, either alone or in conjunction with conventional Western medicine. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to have you, but we've got, uh, we've got an issue to deal with. And that is, it's coming to that time of year when everybody uh, who's loosey-goosey over this amazing summer all of a sudden tighten up because it's back to work, back to school, and everybody right. is stressed out. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm sure you see so many patients suffering from stress. I so, do. so who are they and why are they so stressed out? I'd say it's, it's stress affects everyone at all age groups. And, you know, sometimes we used to think of stress as, you know, maybe an older generation issue, but I see so many millennials now that are yeah. stressed. And the boomer population is also stressed. The number one reason for stress we know in the research and from what I see with my patients too is financial. With the millennials, it's about, you know, getting into the market, buying a house, you know, keeping up with um, the change of the cost of living. And then, you know, with the boomers, it's do I have enough money to retire? Should I retire? Should I not? Financial stress is really number one, I'd say. And then the second and third would be work stress and uh, poor health or chronic illness stress. And what sort of symptoms? How is it manifesting with people that you're seeing? First and foremost, probably lack of energy, fatigue, and then problems with sleep, headaches, irritability, and all of it seems to result in anxiety and depression. Okay, so let's talk about what you prescribe uh, to help people through this. So if I came to you and I was telling you I can't sleep and I'm antsy and I'm putting on weight and I'm full of anxiety, what would you tell me the number one thing to do? Working on sleep probably is where we'd start because a lot of people that are stressed aren't having a good night's sleep, but then the lack of sleep is causing more fatigue and more low mood and it becomes a vicious cycle. So sleep hygiene, meaning, you know, the things we do to help get a good sleep, the medical term is sleep hygiene, but it has nothing to do with being clean. Although it couldn't hurt to take a shower, right? (laughs) That's right. That's true. (laughs) I always take a shower before bed and it helps some people get into the nice um, sleep that's having a bath or a shower before bed. It's actually one of the things we can do to help promote sleep. Right. But there's a, there's a few other things we can do to promote sleep, meaning dimming the lights before bed, turning off all screens, phones, laptops within 45 minutes to an hour before we go to sleep, not having a big meal right before bed, really starting to do some sort of routine to tell your body it's time to sleep. That's... These simple steps are one of the main reasons why people are having difficulty sleeping because a lot of us are looking at our screens or, or watching TV or a computer right before bed. 
And even if we're still, you know, we do that after dinner, but 45 minutes before we want to go to sleep, we shut everything down and start some sort of quiet time or relaxation. Right. And that also includes temperature too, right? I was surprised to hear how, what the optimum temperature is for sleep. It's lower than I thought it was. It's 16 to 18 degrees Celsius. It's cool. Yes. Yeah. And I keep on reiterating this point so that my wife understands it because she be- she believes that the optimum sleep temperature is much higher than that. And, and and now you're telling her she's clinically wrong, which I appreciate. Thank you. Thank you for involving yourself in my marriage. Um, after sleep, what's the number two thing that we, we should be looking at? Diet and exercise are both also very important. So when looking at diet, one of the first things we have to address is caffeine. A lot of people, when they're tired, they they look for an extra cup of coffee or tea. But that extra caffeine in the body can not only make people more anxious or feel more stressed, it can also keep us up at night. With caffeine, we have to look at how fast or slow we metabolize caffeine. A lot of people think having a few cups of coffee in the morning isn't going to impact their sleep because it's so long after after that they go to sleep. Right. But about 50% of the population is a slow metabolizer of caffeine, meaning it takes 12 hours to reduce the caffeine level by 50% in the body. And then it takes another 12 hours to reduce that that half of caffeine by another half. So it's called the half-life of caffeine, how fast you process this half-life. So about half of us, if we have a coffee at 12 in the afternoon or 11 a.m. in the afternoon, by 11 p.m., we still have a whole bunch of caffeine floating around in our body that can interfere with sleep. Other than the caffeine that we're ingesting, diet sort of impacts uh, our stress levels in, in, in other ways too, right? Like if you're Absolutely. if you're not eating a healthy diet, you, you know you could be tying up your system. It could affect your ability to go to the bathroom, which in and of itself can be stressful. And it sort of other than impacting sleep, diet impacts us other ways too, right? It does. And and focusing on a whole foods diet is the best way to start. So meaning limiting packaged foods and fast foods, which is sometimes more difficult when you're stressed. But again, it's it's that vicious cycle. If you can just get on top of it and and take a weekend or Sunday to start meal prepping. So you have some meals planned for the week or even cutting up veggies on a Sunday. So you have healthy snacks to go to when you feel like you don't have enough time to prepare. Those little things long term make a big difference. In Eastern medicine, too, Eastern medicine believes that the properties of food really affect our stress levels. So if, if a food is hot in property, meaning if it's yep. spicy or greasy, that can exasperate feelings of stress and anxiety. On the flip side, if a food is cooling, so dark leafy green vegetables, root vegetables, fish, that helps to dampen the stress response and help balance the stress response. I also think that mealtime could be a time of relaxation. I mean, it sort of depends on your lifestyle, but the idea of, of attempting to eat together as a family or, you know, with friends, uh, that can relieve stress too. You know, just having that Absolutely. positive interaction in this internet world, you know, just being face to face, putting your phones away and just having a discussion over overeating can, can do a world of difference. Huge, huge. And that goes the same thing. You know, if we look, you know, a few hundred years ago before electricity and internet and so forth, people would come together in the evening and share a meal and then there wouldn't be any bright lights or TV. There would be that kind of relaxation, you know, the the lights, the sun would set and people would start going to bed, you know, more soon around the time when the sun sets and they get up with the sun. And that we know that humans really benefit from one, that type of interaction and two, that sort of uh, routine of going to bed. 
And I think, you know, speaking about the stress in millennials, we know that just the reduction in the face-to-face time that millennials are having is also increasing their stress. When a human looks at another person's eyes face-to-face, it actually reduces cortisol in the body, the stress hormone. Hmm. For the first time in history, we know that humans are actually looking at each other in the eyes less than ever before, and that actually increases cortisol. And having meal time is when a lot of times we would actually look each other in the eye and have conversation. The other thing that you mentioned together with diet is exercise. And I can tell you for me, uh, you know, a good workout of an hour, whether it's a spin or weights or hit classes or it used to be running, uh, would certainly clear my mind and calm me down. The endorphins oh, yeah. were just there, right? That's right. So exercise does release those feel-good hormones, the endorphins. They, so they help us feel better. It helps us have a release. The other thing exercise does is it um, boosts our mood. That endorphin release boosts our mood. We know we have clinical studies showing that exercise four times a week for about an hour where you're actually reaching a sweat is as effective as an antidepressant medication, Prozac, for uh, anxiety and depression. So exercise is, is huge. And for some people, they, you know, especially when they're stressed, they feel that exercise, going to the gym and really sweating it out is a little bit too much. It feels like, you know, I'm already stressed. I, I can't feel like pushing my body. Then taking a walk after dinner, taking a walk at lunchtime uh, can can make a huge difference if you're just getting out in nature and moving your body. It doesn't have to be that that full release, that pushing yourself. For some individuals, they like that. But if, if that feels too much, then, you know, doing something more relaxing like yoga or walking or stretching is also beneficial. So you just mentioned yoga. And of course, if we're talking about yoga, we're also talking about mindfulness. Uh, how do you mm-hmm. feel? And I'm sure, I, I, you know, we've discussed it before. I know you advocate for mindfulness. Huge. And the research is just incredible and in how, you know, mindfulness can actually change your brain to stress less. Mindfulness can increase the centers in your brain that help you feel happy and more relaxed. Uh, and mindfulness is something that you can take anywhere and do, you know, I have patients that once they kind of get a hold of mindfulness and start practicing it on a more daily basis, they realize that, you know, they used to be anxious going on a plane. Well, well, they can just start doing their mindfulness when they sit down for the plane ride or at work if they have a before stressful meeting, they'll they'll hop into the bathroom and do a little bit of mindfulness. Uh, So I love that about mindfulness, that it's free and you can take it anywhere. Right, and there are even apps that you can put on your phone uh, to help guide you through it, through meditations and quiet times and, and rituals. So it's it, there's really no excuse. And the, mentioning the outdoor time, too, we, we also have a lot of studies that for some individuals, they feel like starting mindfulness or tackling mindfulness, they feel like they can't quiet their mind. Mindfulness can also be, you know, it's, it's being in the moment. So right. as you mentioned, guided meditation can yep. be very helpful. That's a good place to start. Or getting out. I have a lot of patients who, where we start is just on your on the lunch break, getting outdoors, looking at the clouds, looking at the, the trees, trying to quiet the mind and just observing nature can also really help reduce stress levels and lower cortisol levels in the body. Right. Like forest washing is, is, a, is a big deal in Japan and, and just sort of being one with nature can be enough to sort of change your mood. We have time for one last question. We're not going to talk supplements today, but uh, we're hearing a lot about cannabis. Are yeah. you advocating cannabis for your stressed out patients? We talked about this before. I think cannabis absolutely has, you know, a lot of clinical applications. We're just scratching the surface with cannabis. And, you know, cannabis affects the endocannabinoid system, which, you know, when we get technical, this endocannabinoid system helps to promote relaxation. It has a lot of benefits. Uh, But we can also 
help encourage healthy endocannabinoid functioning with a diet rich in greens, onions, mushrooms, dark leafy green vegetables, lifestyle practices such as meditation, deep breathing, exercise also benefits the endocannabinoid system. So I think, you know, although cannabis does help people relax and it can be helpful for depression and anxiety, it's something should be, you know, explored maybe down the line. The first and foremost, you know, the basis should be the diet, exercise, uh, meditation, because cannabis, it is a drug and there's also side effects long term. For some people, cannabis can really help anxiety. For other people, they have a rebound effect where they feel more anxious after use of cannabis. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks again for having me. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us on The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by Emily Lipinski and other interesting writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss liver health, planning a spontaneous date night, building block cookbooks, and cognitive bias. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.